Welcome to the Wagner Ministries International Podcast. As you listen to this message, our prayer is that you would be motivated and empowered to follow Christ and lead others to Him. Enjoy. God bless you, my friends. This is Evangelist Kevin Wagner, founder of Wagner Ministries International, welcoming you to our podcast today. On our last podcast, we focused on verse 3 of Acts chapter 1, and we reflected a bit on what an incredible 40 days those must have been when Jesus, in his resurrected glory, spent quality time with his disciples. I encouraged you to spend intentional quality time with Jesus yourselves, getting to know him better and find out just how irresistible he is. So how was it? Have you been able to spend that time with the Lord recently? Keep it up. It's the best investment of your time you can make. Today, we're going to move on to the very last words that Jesus spoke on earth before he returned to his rightful place, his throne of glory, seated at the right hand of the Almighty. Here are verses 4 to 11 from Acts chapter 1. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Friends, I've been there. I've been there on the Mount of Olives just outside of Jerusalem in the early morning hours. I've seen the place where tradition has it that Jesus went back home clothed in the clouds of glory. It was an awesome feeling and an incredible thought, realizing that I'm standing on the same ground that the Son of God stood on. Standing on holy ground, you know, it humbles a man. There were no clouds in the sky that morning, but one day, Yes, on that great and terrible day, there will be a cloud over the Mount of Olives and Jesus will return the same way he left. For believers, that will be a great day, won't it? Every eye shall see him, finally. But I'll talk more about this later. First things first, I want to focus on verses 4 and 5 for a while. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There is a difference, you know, between the two baptisms that Jesus speaks about here. The New Testament teaches there are two different baptisms. One, the baptism of John with water, and the other, the baptism of Jesus with the Holy Spirit. As, a ver as verse 5 says, John baptized with water, while Jesus baptized with the Holy Spirit. Let's go back and look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. 
Here, John the Baptist himself is contrasting what his baptism is able to do and what Jesus' will be able to do. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John's baptism was water baptism. It was designed for people who were conscious enough to realize the fact that they weren't perfect, that they had done things wrong. In short, that they were sinners in need of forgiveness. Like John himself said, his was a baptism of repentance. The people were sorry for their sins. They came to the water, and the water symbolized the washing away of their sins by God's forgiveness. But you know what? When those people left John's water in the Jordan, they had no power to resist sin. They had no power to say no to the temptations that would come in their lives. They were still slaves to sin. Why? Because John was just a man. He couldn't give them the Holy Spirit. He had no authority on his own to give them the Holy Spirit in their lives. That would have to wait for one greater than he, one, as he put it, whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. You see, Jesus' baptism is different. When we baptize under the command and authority of Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, something extra happens that John's baptism couldn't do. The baptism of Jesus is a baptism with fire and the Holy Spirit. With fire in that it burns away what's not of God, the sin. But the Holy Spirit is also given in Jesus' baptism. He places himself within us and he gives us the power to say no to future sin because the power of the Almighty is placed in our hearts. You see, John's baptism was done by a man in response to men's actions. But Jesus' baptism is done by God through men, and God can place his Holy Spirit into the life of anyone, no matter how old or young. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. The gift of the Father is mentioned by Jesus several times, but I'm going to just point out two of those times, both of them in the book of John. First, from chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And now, friends, these words from John 16, verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Counselor will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. You know, the Bible is very clear that the Holy Spirit would not be sent to earth permanently to live in believers until Jesus returned to glory. But when Jesus did return to glory, this ushered in a brand new time, the time of the Holy Spirit, the time that we live in now. This may be confusing. You may be asking, well, where was the Holy Spirit all those years before Jesus, in Old Testament days, for instance? The simple answer to that is that Previously, the Holy Spirit had come from heaven intermittently, 
at different periods and intervals he came upon people and then left them. Look at Samson's life, for example. Three times the Holy Spirit came. Judges 14, verse 6, 14, verse 9, and 15, verse 14. Or look at King Saul. The Holy Spirit came in 1 Samuel 16, 14. Before Jesus was glorified, the Holy Spirit was a blessed promise who showed up at times to kind of whet people's appetites for the constant power of God. But now that Jesus is glorified, the Holy Spirit lives in us permanently. I like to say it this way. The Holy Spirit is our present permanent possession in the lives of believers. He's given to us when we believe and are baptized, and He lives in us all our lives. This doesn't mean we can't grieve the Holy Spirit by sin and unbelief, for Ephesians 4 verse 30 says that we can. It doesn't mean we can't quench the Spirit's power in our lives, for 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 19 warns us not to put out the Holy Spirit's fire. But the simple fact is that the, in the Old Testament, while God's glory rested in the temple of Jerusalem primarily, now in this new time of the Spirit, the glory of God, the powerful Holy Spirit of the living God, lives in believers. The temple in Jerusalem has been abolished, and now God's temple is our bodies. And don't you know, friends, as Paul asked his Corinthian brothers and sisters in 1 Corinthians 6.19, that your bodies are now the temples of the Holy Spirit, and that the power of the living God lives inside of you. What an awesome thought. If we would release that power, the power that created the universe, that's inside of us, our world would be turned upside down, really right side up, by the power of God. That's what the disciples did in the book of Acts, you know. The reason why many believers aren't seeing this power in their lives is in the same way is that they haven't allowed, because of sin and unbelief in their lives, the Holy Spirit's power to be released in their lives. It's like a garden hose with a sprayer on the end. The tap may be turned on, but unless the sprayer is open, no water will come out. Oh, people of God, will you begin to open the sprayer? Will you begin to release the power of God in your lives? The Holy Spirit is waiting to move and stir your lives. Will you begin to release His power in your lives today? After Jesus said this, He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid Him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as He was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Friends, people who are alive today and claim to be Jesus, they are not Jesus. <laughs> How did he get from the Holy Spirit to this, you're asking about me? Well, let me tell you. We can easily know biblically that folks who are alive today who claim to be Jesus are not Jesus because when Jesus Christ returns, he is going to come in the way that Acts 1 verse 11 says he will. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The return of Jesus Christ on that great and terrible day will have several characteristics. 
His return will be personal. That's from 1 Thessalonians 4.16. Jesus won't send a messenger or a representative. It will be him. His return will be accompanied with clouds and great glory. It's going to be a spectacle greater than every World Series, Super Bowl, and Stanley Cup victory parade put together. You can read about that in Matthew 24, verse 30. And the second coming of Jesus Christ will be visible. Again, in Revelation 1, verse 7, you can read about that. The whole world is going to know at once that Jesus is back. The fanfare of his return is going to rock the world. I ask you today, do folks who claim to be Jesus uh, today, did they personally descend from the sky on clouds with great glory and with the fanfare of heaven? Did everyone alive on earth recognize their coming when they came? Did we all know about him or her and, and their great return? A simple and basic knowledge of biblical teaching on Jesus' second coming can keep everyone from being deceived by would-be messiahs. When Jesus comes back, we're not going to have to wonder if. We're all going to know it because the world will never have seen anything close to the spectacle that heaven will play out before our eyes on that day. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Oh, I hope I'm alive to see that day. I close today's message with some words on verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In asking this question, the disciples showed that they were very much like many Christians today, people with limited vision, unable to grasp the far-reaching plans that God has for their individual lives and for their own church. Here's where God's heart is. Here are his plans. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Those words are from 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. Now, many people stop there and say, see, see, the Bible says it's impossible to know God's mind. We're just finite human beings. We've got to accept our limited vision because that's what it means to be a human being. But those people neglect to read Verse 10, the verse right after that previous verse. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Friends, we fall painfully short of God's best many times. You see, God's plan for the world was far grander than the disciples' limited plans in Acts 1 verse 6. When they asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? God had far more in mind when he raised Jesus from the dead than simply restoring the nation of Israel to the former greatness of David and Solomon's kingdoms. God's vision was for Israel to be a light to the Gentiles. In other words, to rescue human beings from all over the world from the judgment and furies of hell, which our sins deserve and instead open up the gate of heaven for us through Jesus' blood. You see, God's plan was not for a limited, earthly kingdom of flesh and blood, but rather is echoed in 1 Timothy 2 verse 4, when Paul says that God desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 
God's bigger vision is of a kingdom that won't pass away, that moth and rust can't destroy, made up of billions of people from all over the world. The disciples couldn't grasp this. And sadly, many Christians today can't either because their vision is limited. They think that God doesn't want them to know his mind when in fact, the Bible says, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. They don't know and realize and remember that the God of the Bible is a big God. Think about what we pray for. This reveals many times our limited vision. In December of 1941, how many Americans were praying more for their own safety than for something, anything, to intervene to halt the spread of Hitler's forces across free Europe? How many German believers in the spring of 1521 were praying more for Martin Luther's safety after a price was put on his head than for a Holy Ghost revival and reformation of the dead religion in the church of their day? How many people in our Western world during the years of the Cold War prayed more for the downfall of communism behind the Iron Curtain than for conditions in those countries to make people so desperate for the things of God that a spiritual awakening of epic proportions would break out? How many of us pray more strongly that God would keep our children safe from AIDS than we do for a revival of biblical morality in our generation that would stop that killer dead in its tracks? We are often nearsighted people. Seldom does our vision reach beyond our house, our community, and ourselves. Rarely do we see the far-reaching plans of what God really wants to do. But friends, it doesn't have to be that way. You can be a 1 Corinthians 2 verse 10 person, a person who sees God's vision, dreams his dreams, because you are sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit who is in you that you know God's heart. How did the disciples make sense, I ask you, of their master nailed to Palestinian wood? The secret is that we, like the disciples, need to realize that we have a God who specializes in turning tragedy into triumph, and that's the hope that the world doesn't know. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Lord, are you at this time going to pour out blessings on me and my family? And the Lord replies to us, friends, think bigger, think longer, dream my dreams. I want to make you something you never dreamed you could be, to have an impact on this world that you never dreamed you could have, just like I did with the 11 apostles in Acts chapter 1. Friends, Jesus is saying to you today, Think beyond yourselves. Think of your community, your nation, your world. See those people through my eyes and then begin praying prayers, big prayers, nation-reviving and stronghold-tumbling prayers that are in keeping with my character. Wouldn't you rather be a light to the nations than merely a matchstick unto yourselves? Jesus is saying to you today, friends, I have big plans for you because I am your big God. He is, folks. That's our Jesus. Surrender to his big dream for you and for our world today. I wish you today the rich blessings of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope that you were encouraged by today's message. 
For more information regarding Wagner Ministries International, go to wagnerministries.org. And if you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at wagnerministries.org. God bless.